Dr. Gregory. Thank you, Tobin. Thank you. Along with the psalmist, I say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Thank you for the warm greetings and kind introduction. Pastor Toby, it's a delight to be back here again at uh, Abundant Life. And I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ over in the Lone Star State, Texas. It's good to be here this morning. I want to ask you to open the Word of God with me to the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 37. I want to read the first few verses of that chapter, which introduce us to one of the prime Old Testament Hebrew Scripture characters, Joseph. And I want to read them to evoke for you his entire life. Sometimes when you're reminded of the beginning of a well-known story, it brings up the whole story. And if I were to write a title over this message, a superscription, put something on a marquee about it, it might be this. You're one degree closer to the next thing God is about to do. Would you hear the word of God? Now, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. Now, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, uh, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I've dreamed. <laughs> there we were, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And thus begins one of the widely known stories of the Word of God. The life of this 17-year-old who discovered that regardless of what happened to him under God, he was one degree closer to the next thing God had for him. Would you be seated in the presence of the Lord? You may remember the name of a movie. It was actually a 1994 movie that followed a Broadway play. 
It's called six degrees of separation. It starred uh, Will Smith, Stockard, Channing. What you may not know is that that was based on a real piece of university research. Stanley Meldrum at Harvard University had a hunch, a theory, a guess, that no one person in this country is that far away from knowing any other one person. That is, you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, but he, he didn't have any way to prove it till he invented an experiment. He chose people randomly in, in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, in the Midwest, and asked them to write people chosen randomly in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> well, nobody in Omaha knew any of the people in uh, Boston. So he said, well, try to write somebody who might know somebody who might know somebody. You know what he found out? On the average... A randomly chosen individual in Omaha was only six people away from knowing a randomly chosen person in Boston. They knew somebody who knew some, you know. Well, that was interesting, but now here's uh, Facebook <laughs> climbing toward a billion people. Those who study it say that the average person on Facebook is only four people away from knowing anyone else on Facebook. You think about that, I, uh, I don't know President Obama. I wish I did. I can't just walk into the White House, but I know two people who know him very well and are in and out of the White House, so I'm only, what, one degree away from the President. And he knows the Queen of England, so that means I'm only... <laughs> Hi, Queen. How you doing, Queen? <laughs> In this biblical story, the narrative of God's man, Joseph, we discover the story under God who was of a man who was only six degrees away from God's destiny for him. If you don't remember the story of Joseph, let me give you a kind of one-minute abridged synopsis, a Cliff Notes version, <laughs> a digest of his life. Just bring it before you very quickly. Here he is, 17 years old. He's the youngest son of his father Jacob with Jacob's favorite wife, uh, uh, Rachel. He's sent out to see how his brothers are doing keeping the sheep. They're not doing a good job of sheep keeping, whatever that is. <laughs> and he snitches on them. So they hate him. The next time he comes out, they want to kill him, but they decided to throw him in a pit. But then they said, let's make some money off this. So they sell him to some Arab slave traders who take him to Egypt. But he is one degree closer to what God has for him. A man named Potiphar buys him and puts him in charge of his house and everything that Potiphar has is blessed. I mean, stocks go up, bonds go up, real estate goes up, business is booming. And it all happened when Joseph came. And he's one degree closer to what God has for him. <laughs> but then Mrs. Potiphar starts chasing him around the house. She may have been a member of the original cast of the Desperate Housewives. I don't know. But she, she chases him around the house saying, lie with me, lie with me. And Finally, he says, no, I will not sin against God. 
He does the right thing and it comes out wrong. He gets thrown in jail. But he's one degree closer to the next thing God has for him. At just the time he gets to jail, two VIP prisoners come to jail. The butler and the baker of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. They show up at the same time Joseph is in jail. And they have a dream. And he interprets their dream. And he's one degree closer to his destiny under God. Butler's dream, <laughs> Joseph says, you're going to get out of jail free. Three days. Uh, Mr. Baker, I'm sorry, your head's off in three days. And it came to pass, and as the butler was leaving, Joseph gave him his business card. It only had two lines on it, Joseph, prisoner. <laughs> and he said, give this to Pharaoh and tell him I'm not supposed to be here. And the butler leaves, and he's one degree closer to where God's getting him. But the butler got a case of amnesia <laughs> and forgot Joseph until Pharaoh had a dream about seven fat cows and seven skinny cows and all of his astrologers and soothsayers and whoever that lady was on the 800 number that she used to be able to call uh, and ask about that sort of thing. Nobody could help him. And the butler said, I've sinned against God. I've got a business card here. Now, some of this is a loose translation, but you'll forgive me. He says, Joseph is in jail, and he is one degree closer. The day came when he got up, bathed, oiled his face, put on a new tunic, and he was standing in front of the sun of the sun, Pharaoh, the S-O-N of the S-U-N. And in a moment, he was at his destiny. I wanted to come by this place this morning to assure you that under God, when your faith is in God through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens to you, you are one degree closer to the next thing God has for you. And you might say, well, Joel, you don't know me. No, I don't. I don't. But you don't know my story either. I've lived this and discovered this. And let me tell you something. Just trust me about it for a moment as I walk you through it and see if it doesn't correspond with the truth of the Word of God. The, the elders asked me to come here as a guest preacher today. And uh, uh, we, we know the Father. And the Father knows not only the butler and the baker. He knows the candlestick maker. He knows, uh, <laughs> he knows the fat cat and the alley cat, the Pope, the Quaker. He knows all of them. And I can assure you that if you put your confidence and trust in God... He can move you one degree at a time to where he wants to get you. Now, let me hand you a few truths about that, and I'll sit down. You're one degree closer to the next thing God has for you, regardless of how you got into the mess that you're in right now. Now, some of us have a Ph.D. in messology. <laughs> I remember the story of the Millennium Bridge in London. It opened up January 1, 2000. It was the first pedestrian bridge across the Thames in many years. Thousands of people got on it, and if you remember, it began to wobble. In fact, it wobbled so wildly that people thought it was going to break and fall in the river. It was a terrifying shock. So they got the people all off, and the next day they let them on 25 at a time, and the same thing happened. The bridge wobbled. So they shut it down to try to figure out whether the people made the bridge wobble, or the bridge made the people wobble, or there was some kind of combination. It took them a year to figure it out. 
You know, life's a little like that. <laughs> Not a lot like that. Sometimes things wobble. And we're not quite sure how things got wobbling. And the truth about life is sometimes we do things to ourselves and sometimes things get done to us. Look at Joseph. There were some things done to him. He didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't get a choice that he was the son of Jacob. To me, Jacob is one of the most undesirable characters in the Word of God. His name means tricky one. He was always up to some scam, always planning some, I don't know. Always, always on the run, one step ahead of the posse. <laughs> Joseph didn't get a vote that he was son of uh, Jacob. He was just born. And then Jacob had an unusual family situation. Remember, he, he, he worked seven years to think he was getting Rachel. But on the honeymoon, when he lifted the veil, it was Leah. So he worked seven more years to get Rachel. But then, as if that were not confusing enough, the text tells us that both of them gave him their handmaids to sleep with, Bilhah and Zilpah. So, Jacob had 12 children with four women in one tent. <laughs> now, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in family ministry to recognize uh, that was at least a, a challenging situation to grow up in. He had no choice in that. But also he had no choice in the fact that Jacob hadn't learned anything from his own life. Jacob's life had virtually been destroyed because Rebekah had played favorites between him and Esau. So what does Jake turn around and do? Does the same thing and makes his youngest son his favorite. Some people just don't know the first law of holes, H-O-L-E-S. When you're in one, stop digging. Jacob never figured that. That's some stuff was done to Joseph. But on the other hand, he did some stuff to himself. That made him wobble. First of all, he was a snitch. Now, let me give you a short course in snitchology. <laughs> Generally, people don't like snitches. Uh, for many, many years, over in Oakland, I've preached at the Allen Temple Baptist Church with its revered, famous pastor, Reverend Dr. J. Alfred Smith, Sr. I was over there a few years ago, and they told me about a young man who'd uh, been remanded to the almost to Dr. Smith's custody to get a GED. He was in a class and kept getting a text message and finally went outside from the school there in the church. And There's a big cross there on International Boulevard. Right at the foot of that, he was shot to death. Reason being was his old gang didn't believe that he could have gotten out without being a snitch. And that's how much it angered them. They would take his life. Joseph was a snitch, and it almost cost him his life. But there was another thing that Joseph did that you need to understand not everybody's ready for, and that is he told people his dreams from God who were not ready for his dreams. Let me give you a word of spiritual advice. God can give you some things that not everybody can take. And uh, that's why Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before what? Swine. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. Some things need to be kept to yourself. But Joseph caused himself trouble because he told people his dreams who were not ready for his dreams. So here he is in a pit, 17 years old, wobbling. <laughs> and I doubt that Joe could figure out what was done to him and what he'd done to himself. Come close to me just a second. One somebody here 
just one somebody you. I, I wish I could talk to you personally. You're in a situation and you say, really, I can't figure out how I got what I'm in. I don't know what I did to myself and I don't know what other people did to me. But all I know is I'm wobbling. Could I give you the good news of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is that grace means you don't have to figure out how you got where you are. Grace means you don't have to spend the rest of your life in the paralysis of analysis. Grace means that God can take you from where you are right now and move you one degree closer to where he wants you to be. That's why we call it grace. Yeah, that's good news. Some people live their lives in the rearview mirror trying to figure out what did I do and what did they do, and they just keep on wobbling because they don't recognize that grace looks forward and says, I can move you one degree to the next place you want to be. Well, let's catch up with Joseph again. This is the second truth I want to give you. Here he has gone down the interstate to Egypt. Sometimes you'll do the right thing and it'll come out wrong, but God will still put you one degree closer to where he wants you to be. <laughs> you know, the story of Joseph's life, if you read it, is up, down, up, down, up. <laughs> Any of you remember Mr. Bozo? Mr. Bozo, yeah, there, thank God, a testimony here. Mr. Bozo is four feet six inches tall. You can still buy him at Toys R Us. I met Mr. Bozo in the third grade. You blow him up and you hit Mr. Bozo as hard as you can. And what happens to Mr. Bozo? He comes back up. In fact, I remember vividly, got all my gang together. We kept hitting him. We all hit him at once. We even got a baseball bat. And hit him. So there's got to be some way to hit him hard enough to keep him down. But every time he came back up. Hate to confess this, but finally we did some forensic surgery on Mr. Bozer. It was a very deflating experience for him. But, uh, but we, we found out the secret. That Mr. Bozo had something in him that we didn't know about. And when you walk with a living faith in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you have something in you that other people don't know about. You're back up. Here he is, like I say, working for Mr. Potiphar. The word Potiphar, incidentally, uh, literally translated, means Mr. Slaughter. That could not have been very encouraging to Joseph that he went from the pit to work for Mr. Slaughter. But here he was, and everything gets better in Slaughter's house. It's amazing. Read the story. The hand of God is on Joseph. It's unbelievable. Potiphar has never had so many good things happen to him. So here he says, here, Joe, here's the keys to the Bentley. Here's my platinum American Express card. Here's the combination to the wall safe. You know, uh, here's all my bank account numbers. Here's my private number down at the club. You got it all except Miss Potiphar. Joe said, that's fine with me. <laughs> but then <laughs> she chases him around the house. I, I don't know what all was behind that. Maybe she needed to take up knitting, join a club. I don't know what it was. But she chased him around the house, and he did what? Any man of God needs to do in that regard. 
He didn't say, I'm going to pray about it or let me think this thing over. He said, I will not sin. Not against Potiphar. I will not sin against God. Well, he did the right thing. But guess what happens? He does the right thing, and it comes out wrong. She grabs his tunic, exhibit A in the trial, and he goes to jail. Come close to me again. I wonder if there's anybody here who'd say, Joel, truth be told, <laughs> that's some of my story. I, I gave my life to Christ. I followed him in baptism. I've walked carefully. I've tried to support his church. It seems like I've done right. <laughs> but it just comes out wrong. Could I give you a word of encouragement today? Just like Joseph, under God, you're one degree closer to the next thing God has for you. If you play Joseph's life backward, if you press the rewind, if you could watch it backward, you'll find out he had to make every stop that he made to get to his destiny under God. You take out one stop, and he would not have been the COO of Egypt. And when I look at my own life, ups and downs, sometimes up, sometimes down, sometimes level with the ground, I would not be standing here today had it not been for every stop that I took. You just can't skip it. <laughs> you remember Rob Sloan and the 2010 Northumberland Marathon in England? <laughs> it's a crazy story. At mile 20, he was really tired, like everybody. Heart pounding, just eyes bulging, arms flailing. He's tired. He jumped out of the race, hid behind a tree, and got on a bus. <laughs> Rode four miles, jumped off the bus, hid behind a number tree, jumped in the race, and came in third. Got the bronze medal. But he made three mistakes. First thing was the bus he got on uh, was full of people watching the marathon. <laughs> Second, nobody had ever run the last half faster than the first half. Third thing was, the guy who'd been in third had been in third place all day. And when this other man popped in front of him, he said, where'd you come from? <laughs> well, he had to be stripped of his medal because uh, he thought he could skip four miles. Let me assure you from the life of Joseph, it took it all. All the wobbling, the pit, being sold. Potiphar and Miss Potiphar, all of it, for God to get him one degree at a time where he wanted him to be. Somebody here today may be in the bottom of a pit of discouragement. You may feel imprisoned in your circumstances and no exit. I can tell you from this biblical story and from my own very lived, real experience, you're only one degree away from the next thing God can do. And it may be real good. And let me hand you a third truth about this. You're one degree away because God is putting people in your future that you don't even know will be there yet. Oh, yes, he does. Here's Joe. Joe's in jail. But the same thing happened. Interesting, when God hand is on your life, what God can do. 
Things have never been as good at the jail. Read the whole story this afternoon. The jail's calmer than it's ever been. The prisoners are happy. Everything's up. The jailer hands Joe the keys and said, here's the key. Here's the prisoner's list. I'm off on a cruise. See you later. (laughs) And by God's timing, at just the time Joseph is in jail, Pharaoh throws his butler and baker in jail. We don't know why. Maybe the butler didn't pick up the dry cleaning. We don't know. But but they're there at just the right time. People he didn't even expect or know were going to be in his life. And God has a lot of ways of doing things. He can slip into the mind that, that grapefruit-sized glob of jelly inside the cranium And there, during stage four rapid eye movement sleep, God can give them both a dream, and that dream will change Joseph's life. Tell you what, God's got a lot of ways to get you where he wants to get you. Oh, yes, he does. They both have a dream, and he interprets their dream. The butler goes back, and the baker loses his head. But God has put people into Joseph's life and one of them will change everything for him two years later. Let me assure you, under the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, if you are a person with confidence and faith in God through Christ, out there in your future are people who will change everything for you. I could sit, I could bore you today with stories from my own life. You'd say, hey, let's go home and get lunch. I could keep talking, tell you story after Let me just tell you one. About a dozen years ago, I was preaching and publishing a national publication, and I had to go to New York most months because that's a center of a lot of publishing. I was on a plane, delayed hours, leaving DFW, finally got to Newark International Airport way after midnight, cold, icy, frigid, February, Newark Airport. I, Man, I was tired. I got my bag off the carousel, and I did something I've never done before or after. I went to the cab line, and I got in the first cab, and I said, take me to the closest hotel. I don't care where it is. Well, they took me almost to the end of the runway and stopped, said, here it is. This is a it's an old Ramada Inn, and I, I was so tired, I was ready to sleep in the lobby. Just get the, I went in and said, you got a room? Said, we got one. I got that room, and then hunger overtook sleep. There's a grill over off the lobby, and I went in and saw a guy eat and said, give me some of that. I remember it was chicken and rice soup. And while I was eating it, out of the darkness in the back of that grill came a voice. Dr. Gregory. Well, my first impulse was to raise my hands. <laughs> it was Newark, after all. And uh, a 30-something tall, handsome, young African-American man walked up to me and said, My name is Joe Carter. I'm pastor of the New Hope Missionary Baptist Church, 106 Sussex, Newark. He said, I just finished reading your autobiography today. And he said, I wouldn't even know what you look like. But when I told a friend of mine that not long ago, a few hours ago, he sent me your picture. Now you may say, well, that's just an accident. Things happen. 
If you think that's an accident, you have the same mentality that thinks a printing plant can blow up and unabridged dictionaries fall out of the air. In fact, it's more than that. He said, where are you staying? I said, here, I got the last room. Then he looked shocked. He had just turned that room in because he'd been holding it for a preacher whose plane couldn't land. He's now on my board of ministry, Gregory Ministries. He and I have been, we, our lives have woven together in more ways than you can tell for reconciliation, uh, redemption, cross-cultural, tra- all kinds of things over the last dozen years. It was a divine prearrangement that I'd be on a late plane on an icy night. Let me tell you something about God. Joseph, if he could come through here today, Joe, if you could come in, would you tell us? <laughs> he would. You know, they say that a beginning chess player can only think three moves ahead. I never got any better than that. You move, I move, you move, I get lost. <laughs> they say that a chess master can think, if, if he's playing an amateur can, you make your first move. Chess master can think 30 moves ahead all the way to checkmate. If that's true, how many moves ahead do you believe God is? You zig, God zags. You zag, God zigs. That's what Joe found out, and that's what I found out. I'm standing here. Because God put people in my future. In fact, let me put more than that. When people I thought would never let me down, let me down. God put people in my future that moved me one degree closer to what he had for me. Now the day comes. (laughs) Pharaoh has his famous dream. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. Nobody can interpret it. The butler sends for Joseph. And suddenly, Joseph is standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. Do you know what? God? Sometimes God does things slowly, but let me tell you, sometimes he can do them suddenly. We just went through Christmas. Remember, it says, suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Remember how Pentecost came? Suddenly, there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. And I've lived through it. Sometimes God can do what he does suddenly. Tells us from the jailhouse to the court of Pharaoh there at ancient Thebes. (laughs) And he interprets the dream. And Pharaoh sends a text message to his HR department. says, I need somebody to run a national food program. And they text him back, dummy, he's right in front of you. It's a loose translation, you understand. But, uh, and in an instant, Joseph has reached his destiny. One degree at a time. Rewind it a second and look down in that pit. Back up through the jail, through Potiphar's house, through the Arab slave traders to his mad brothers who threw him in the bottom of that Do you know what was in that pit with him? Oh, there was a lot more in that pit than he thought. You know what was in that pit? (laughs) The exodus was in that pit. One of the greatest events ever, world history, 
had he not been in that pit and gone to Egypt 400 years later, there would never have been an exodus. Passover was in that pit. The parting of the Red Sea was in that pit. The Ten Commandments were in that pit. The manna that fell were in that pit. I want to encourage somebody who came in here today and said, if you're talking about pit, Gregory, I am in a pit. Oh, I've been in a pit. You have no idea how deep a pit I've been in right in the middle of my life. But let me assure you, there's a whole lot more in that pit than you could ever imagine. One degree at a time, all of the rest of the things God's going to do for you. You ever notice when you're in a pit, you get a lot of advice? Everybody likes to look in your pit. Optimists will walk by and say, ooh, that's the best pit I ever saw. Or a pessimist will come by and say, ooh, nobody ever gets out of a pit like that. I'm thankful that somebody came whose name was Jesus. And he didn't just look down in the pit. He got down in it with me and lifted me up and out. Now, I'm not preaching about Joseph because we have faith in Joseph. Joseph had Achilles' heel. He had weak points just like us. But, you know, there's some interesting commonalities between Joseph and Jesus. (laughs) They both came from unusual family situations. Joseph in one tent with four wives and 11 siblings. Jesus, what an unusual family situation. Born of Mary and of the Holy Spirit. Both of them had to go to Egypt as part of God's will. You remember the Christmas story just the other day? When Herod was killing all those babies, they took Jesus, swear to Egypt, but he was one degree closer to what God had for him. Joseph had to go to Egypt. Both of them had brothers who didn't believe in him. Joseph's brothers mocked his dreams. Jesus' brothers, John chapter 7, <laughs> they ridiculed his claims that he was the Messiah. Both of them were put away, and everybody said, <laughs> they're not coming back. Not only did Joseph come back, he, he, he saved his whole family. And thank God, Jesus came back. And he saved his whole family too. Here's where I wish I could sit down in your kitchen over a cup of coffee and look you right in the eye. I do. Somebody here is one degree closer to the next thing God has for you. Somebody right now is saying, Joel, you're talking about pit. I'm in a pit. You talk about wobble. I can't figure out how I got where I am. I don't know whether I did it to myself or somebody did it to me. I've got good news for you. <laughs> you're one step away from the next thing God can do. One step. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the simple thing he said to everybody wasn't a complex theological proposition. He said something real simple. He walked up to people and said, follow 
me. You know how you do that? One step at a time. Somebody today can stand up from where you are and say, I don't even know how I got in the situation I'm in, but I'm going to follow Jesus. Somebody else here, you're a believer. Believers get in pits too. And you need to believe that you're one degree away from the next thing God has for you. I want you to bow your head with me for a moment. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. The helpers are going to be here. I'm going to be here. And somebody today needs to claim the truth that you're just a step away from the next thing God is about to do in your life. With our heads bowed before God, nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to do anything. 